Um, I am well aware that before the pandemic, church went an hour and a half. And since the pandemic, we have kept the service to one hour, which means I have six minutes um, to preach today's sermon. Um, <laughs> Peter, you can leave. I'm surprised. Where's George? I'm sure he was applauding too, that guy. Um, I, my, uh, my promise to you is I will try to shorten up from what I had originally, um, but uh, I also am asking for your grace in this situation as well with a fuller service today. So, Rob, can you please uh, read the scripture for us this morning? Will you all stand, please, while we read God's word? We'll be reading Luke 18 to 27. <coughs> chapter now, 9, sorry. Chapter 9, oh, sorry. 18 to 27. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just in case. Well, I was going to shorten it up for you. <laughs> now, it happened that he was praying alone. The disciples were with him, and he asked them, What do the crowd say I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others said, Elijah and others, that one of the prophets of the old had risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his own, himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So far the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, we thank you that we can learn from it. And we just pray that uh, you'd speak through it this morning to us, that we'd hear from you, and that we would uh, be encouraged and challenged this morning. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Well, we have spent the last number of weeks unpacking who Christ is, and we have seen his authority over creation, over demons, over sickness and death. And then we come to this really interesting point in the story where Jesus is asking his disciples, okay, what's the word on the street about who I am? What are people saying? And then they kind of answer, and then he follows up and says, okay, well, what do you think? The people who have been with me the most, what do you think? And then, of course, Peter responds, and he gets it right. But on some level, he likely has a little bit of a different understanding of even what Peter is saying. And, and we know this because the way that Jesus responds uh, to Peter. 
and he unpacks the, the future that's before himself, the, the, the road ahead. And, uh, and he asks this, like, you know, do you, now that you know this, what does this mean for you if you're going to follow me? And, and the question I want us to ask today is, have you ever wrestled with who you are, your identity, your purpose, um, what, why you're here? And I think it's really easy for us to lose sight of that. You know, relationships, money, appearance, success, sexual orientation, they all vie to be the source of your identity. But who are you really? And I think today, hopefully, we'll find a solution in that, in that identity crisis that we can find ourselves in. When we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we look to become more like him and mimic him and reflect who he is. In essence, this is what discipleship is. We put ourselves under the authority and the teaching of Christ to become more like him. Identity is found in Jesus, and discipleship is the path to forming that identity. Peter Peter says, you are the Christ of God. And what does Jesus say in response? He says, he gives very direct instructions about discipleship. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Uh, Steph, I'm going to skip over the next quote. Poor Steph has been working so hard on my sermon. I've given her so many slides and quotes, and now... We're going to skip it. All right. Thanks, Steph. So years ago, when uh, Riley Hepner was starting out as the camp director at Pines, uh, I was tasked from the conference, the BCMB, to, to start up a board. And so Devin Chersonoff was my, my first phone call, and I was very thankful that he jumped in right away. And from there, I figured I should ask Cheryl McIver and see if she would be interested, and I think she'd be a great addition. And until the day I die, she will never let me live this down. She brings it up all the time. So I called her asking to join the team, and and not so many words. I basically said, it's not a really big deal. It's not a huge job. Just a few meetings here and there, and we're going to support Riley. So basically, I was lying. (laughs) And what I really was doing was asking her to do some hard things, join a new team that is finding their way, kind of working from the ground up again, and it was going to be a lot of work. But I really wanted her on the team. I didn't want her to say no, and I didn't want to scare her off. So I made it sound like she's basically just joining a team that meets and drinks tea together and just talks about how easy our lives are. (laughs) So what's if I can say this in the right way, what was Jesus' sales pitch to his disciples? They have seen his power. He has let them in on the inner workings of the very hand of God. And then what does he say? You really want to be my disciples? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Be ready for suffering. Follow me. If Jesus himself is giving this as the call to discipleship, Why have I done the opposite? And as I reflect, I worked at the Pines for eight summers. I've been a pastor here for over 12 years. And I really felt convicted when I was 
putting this together, and I need to repent and ask for forgiveness for the way in which I brought people to Jesus in those areas. It became about numbers. It was about just getting them in, like telling Cheryl, it's not a big deal. It's going to be fun. It's going to be easy. I remember telling children at camp, uh, you're going to want to follow Jesus because you're going to want to be in heaven. And, and I didn't talk a lot about what life was perhaps going to be like before then. And obviously, you need to know your audience and who you're speaking to when you're speaking with children and to adults and all that stuff. But I didn't, I didn't unpack the full gospel. And, and I, I really think, after looking at the number of years working with youth ministry here, I wish I would have slowed that down a little bit uh, with teenagers. Because sometimes it's like a match that, that strikes and it's really hot and bright and then it burns out quickly. And I don't know where they're at. Over this uh, summer, I received a message from Tyson Tiller. And uh, he attended our youth group here and he attended our church for a number of years. So just out of the blue, I hadn't talked to him for quite a, while, quite a long time. He said, hey, Ben, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for everything you did as my youth pastor, for being there when I was at my lowest, and thank you for showing me God through your life. You and everyone at Gospel Chapel really changed my life, and I just hope you guys know that. Thank you very much. And Tyson came to us not knowing Christ, and he left with a vibrant faith. And I don't share this as like, hey, look at me, everyone. Look how great I am. I share this because of how great God is, because despite my utter incompetence, the Holy Spirit still worked, and he still worked through me and guys like Devin and other youth leaders and Lance at Battalion. Uh, he still worked through us, even though we don't have it all together, even though we're incompetent. If Jesus himself makes a call to follow so hard and upfront, why are we so soft on it? Would we perhaps have more people coming to know Jesus and sticking with him if we were upfront about the road ahead? instead of making the gospel sound better so people aren't scared off. And in Luke 14, Jesus talks about this, the cost of discipleship. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And of course, he goes on from there. To count the cost is to know the gospel and to know what Jesus is asking. I'm going to skip ahead in Luke and bring up a passage that wasn't given to me today because how mad can Pastor Doug really get with me at this point, right? I've <laughs> got like five or six weeks here, so we're going we're gonna to unveil something later in Luke here, and actually in chapter 9. So I'm going to read, actually, I'm going to read it from the message so that when you read it later, it's going to sound like it's different. Okay, so Luke 9, it says this. On the road, someone asked if he could go along. I'll go with you wherever, he said. Jesus was curt. Are you ready to rough it? We're not staying in the best inns, you know. Jesus said to another, follow me. He said, certainly, but first, excuse me for a couple days, please. I have to make arrangements for my father's funeral. Jesus refused. First things first, your business is life, not death, and life is urgent. Announce God's kingdom. Then another said, I'm ready to follow you, master, but first excuse me while I get things straightened out at home. 
Jesus said, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow, seize the day. So what's going on here? Jesus is pinpointing people's hearts. He knows what's beneath. He can see it. He knows that some people have specific struggles that will hinder them taking up their cross. And so, my friends, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that's holding us back? When we think about our identity, this is where we need to start. What is it about me that needs to be crucified? What is this cross that needs to be carried daily in order that I might follow Christ? And that's where we start to find our new identity. You know, so some of those things for me include self-image, comparing myself to others, sometimes anger, and thinking like the older son in the parable of the lost son, that I just need to work hard enough to show that I'm a good and faithful servant. I just got to check off enough boxes. But we can't have Jesus and other priorities. Jesus is the priority, and he encompasses all parts and aspects of your life. He is your new identity, serving him, loving him, obeying him, and submitting to him. And we don't like to submit. That includes myself. We don't like to submit to leaders, to authority, to doctors, to anyone. What do people really know anyway? I could just look it up on the internet. I had an interesting conversation about this with someone recently that I saw something on the internet and I said, oh yeah, that's what they said. It looked really professional. And then the guy's like, that is not true at all. <laughs> that is not the case, talking to the professional about this. And this carries into our relationship with God. We don't really like to submit to him as our Lord and Savior of our lives. Friends, God is so good and so powerful all at once. We would be insane not to trust him with who he says we are. So this is, a, this is an old illustration uh, by Louis Giglio called If Earth Were a Golf Ball. Has anyone ever seen this clip where Louis Giglio does this, If Earth Was a Golf Ball? Oh, man, okay. Uh, oh, one person. Kay Linford, two, okay. Uh, actually, it's mine. I originally did this. Um, it's not Louis, so I can take the credit because no one knew about it. No, this is Louise, but I thought it was really helpful. Psalm 147 says this, He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. He counts the stars and knows them by name. So let's look at four of those stars that God spoke into existence. So if we have the first one, Steph, of the earth, I think, next to the moon. Yeah, okay, so there we go. There's some... Okay, so it's huge, right? The sun... Uh, it's about a million times bigger than Earth, apparently. Uh, so if the Earth were the size of a golf ball, then the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. Uh, yeah, not quite the size of that screen, but 15 feet in diameter. So it could hold 960,000 of our Earths inside of it. So that's enough golf balls to fill a school bus. So if the if the golf ball was representing Earth. Okay, you tracking with me? 960,000 would fit in the school bus. Okay, so the next star, um, apparently you could pronounce it as Beetlejuice, so I'm definitely doing that. So Beetlejuice, there you go. Some scientist in the crowd is just shaking their head. Uh, so that's 427 light years away. I have no idea how far that is. It's twice the size of Earth's orbit around the sun. All right. 
So if the earth were a golf ball, Betelgeuse would be the height of six Empire State Buildings on top of each other. So has anyone seen the Empire State Building? Okay, a few people, great. So if, you went to, if you've seen the Empire State Building, I never have, apparently it's pretty big. So if you took the golf ball, put it down on the street, looked at the Empire State Building, and imagined you know, six of them, that's the comparison for Betelgeuse. So you could fill a football stadium 3,000 times with the Earth golf ball. So does this change our perspective at all when it comes to God? How we treat God, you know, how we pray to God. How about Musifi, if we have Musifi uh, anywhere, I don't know. Uh, it's 3,000 light years away. So if the Earth, Earth were a golf ball, Musifi would be the diameter of two Golden Gate bridges end to end. So 2.7 quadrillion Earths in this star. Uh, lastly, let's talk about Canis Majoris. Look at me speaking another language. If the Earth were a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be the size of Mount Everest. Okay, so you can see in that little square there, that's the sun compared to Canis Majoris. They don't even try to do the Earth. Uh, so you would have uh, seven quadrillion of our Earths within Canis Majoris. So if the Earth were a golf ball, that's enough golf balls to cover the entire state of Texas, 22 inches deep in golf balls. That's how big this star is. Psalm 33 says, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. There is no one like God. He is indescribable. He created this massive universe with purpose and identity. And of course, we know that God didn't stop with the stars. The only way we can fully understand who we are and what our identity is, is to know the creation story. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go quickly through this than I had originally intended, but we originally, so we, we've done a science lesson now, and now we're gonna look at art. Uh, so I wanna, I wanna share a painting by David Arms uh, depicting uh, the creation narrative. If we have that stuff, you can put that up. Um, Eric Mose, since he moved here, told me, Ben, you need to have more visuals in your sermons. So my second last sermon here as your pastor, this is my second last one. Eric is getting his wish, so I hope he's enjoying it. So you can see, yeah, that's great. You can see this painting that this guy did. Uh, it, pre it presents one of the four interrelated parts of God's story, and it is chosen with these symbols in each one. So the first panel, you have creation, when everything was as God meant it to be. And then there's different things depicting in there. I was going to go into further detail, but we're going to keep going. Uh, and, and the birds represent certain things, but it's just beautiful. But listening to the enticing lies of the serpent, of course, we know Adam and Eve chose to disregard God's will, and the result was catastrophic, and sin and death entered their hearts. And in the second panel, we have the fall. There's this tragic intrusion of sin and death, resulting in the pervasive brokenness of all people and everything God made. And you can see these haunting gray hues in this panel. And in the third panel, God's astonishing promise to redeem his fallen image bearers and creation through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And you can see the butterflies there, and, and there's an egg 
uh, which holds forth the promise of present life and of a greater life to come. I don't know if you can see the egg very well, but... Um, and in the fourth panel, consummation, the magnificent fulfillment of God's plan to gather and cherish a people forever and to live with them in a more than restored world called the new heaven and new earth. And you can see actually the tree in the last panel is even more vibrant. It's higher up. It's bigger than the first one uh, from creation. And in 1 Corinthians, it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it even entered into the imagination of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We find our origins and identity in creation, in this narrative. We find order and function in creation. It speaks to us, for us today. We were created by the same God who breathed out the stars, and he loves you unconditionally. He sees the depths of your heart, and he loves you all the same. Your life is a miracle, and the creator of the universe knows you by name. The God who spoke the universe into existence made you and knows everything about you, from the smallest molecule to the situation that you find yourself in this morning. He knows and he cares. If you've accepted Jesus as your savior and your forgiver, and God as your father, then you are the child of a star breather. Last night, uh, I took, uh, Shana was in Kelowna for the day, I took the kids to my parents' place uh, for supper, and, and we were driving home in the dark, and then uh, they wanted to listen to Christmas music, so I pulled over and uh, didn't use my phone while I drove and was getting the music. Uh, but the kids were looking out into the darkness, into the woods. And they're going, Dad, we're, we're scared. And we're sitting in the van, and I'm like, scared of what? And it's like, well, it's dark, and there's woods, and maybe animals can come out. And, you know, their imagination starts going. And I go, what on earth could you be scared of? I'm right here with you. You know, I'm, and I like them to think that if a bear came, that I can handle it. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm in a van, so we just drive away. But, you know, that somehow I'm strong enough to tackle the bear. And that I, I would love for my kids to think that as long as they could. Uh, but regardless, I, I want them to feel safe when they're with me. I go, I'm right here, no problem. And how much more is that true for us, for God, our Father, who can easily handle the bears, you know, uh, when we are afraid? And, and I don't just mean fear, probably for many of us isn't, you know, a bear's coming out of the woods, but fear of how maybe we're going to make the mortgage payment this month or fear of our situation with pain or the loss of a loved one or, you know, whatever it might be, the fears that we have. Man, God is good and he's powerful and he can take care of us. So if we know this, we need to realize even more that our identity and trust can be given to God and formed by God, not ourselves. God is so powerful that we really have the gall to treat him like anything less than the Lord of our lives. He will not tolerate being mixed in with whatever else makes you feel good or other identities that you want to wear. The modern approach to identity is to figure out what your deepest desires are and fulfill them by any means. This is where fulfillment is found in our day and age. This is what people are telling us. But Jesus says you'll never find yourself there. You'll only find yourself in me. What good is it to gain the whole world 
Even if you gain the whole world, you still won't find your identity. This world is unstable. Anything could happen or change. Jesus is stable. He is the cornerstone. He is the rock. Base your life only on Christ and you will have stability. So this means that discipleship is submitting our will and forming a new identity. At creation, God formed us, and with Jesus, there is a recreation. And this must be done by Christ, not by ourselves. I don't get to make the call on what I will become or what I want to do. The Holy Spirit is shaping that. And if we decide our identity is formed by what we do, like our work or our skills, we fall short. And if we decide that we can be whatever we want, and God will just bless it, and he will, he will you know, just support us in whatever that might be, what we're doing is actually committing idolatry. The only place to find identity is in Christ. It cannot be found anywhere else. Your body will fail you, your stuff will fail you, your relationships will fail you, but Christ never will. Steph, I'm going to skip the next quote as well. So we are either becoming more like Christ or we are becoming more like our idols. We can't be both. We become what we behold. We worship what we behold. In Romans 12, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is all discipleship. Identity in Christ is discipleship, which means you are a follower, and if you are a follower, you don't call the shots. And as we enter into 2024, we're going to be entering into a very intentional discipleship process as a church. And this is going to be our next phase of the vision. Are you being discipled? Are you discipling others? Following Jesus is the continual surrender of all of life to God's good design for identity, purpose, and belonging. Discipleship is sanctification. So if we were created, we don't have to find our identity. It is given to us. This last week, uh, after I came home from work, Miles ran up to me with this thing that he created out of Lego. I think he called it like Mega Turtle or something like that. And he was just so excited about it, and he was showing me everything about it. It had a whole backstory, and of course it had some kind of guns that shot off the shell, and I was like, oh boy, okay, yeah. And that flew, and it had all this stuff, but he gave it purpose, and he gave it meaning. Uh, he gave it this identity. And God, who is far greater of a creator than Miles is, has done the same in us. It is appalling that we would tell God who breathes stars that we know better. Psalm 139, for you form my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. And then Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this quote. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Only the man who is dead to his own will can follow Christ. We aren't occasionally called to pick up a certain cross. We are called to an entire way of life. We often speak of whether we are willing to count the cost of discipleship. But the real issue is not the costliness of following Jesus. It's our willingness to follow him regardless of the cost.
The greatness or littleness of the cost is no longer emphasized. Rather, all of life is to be surrendered to him. We aren't occasionally called to pick up a certain cross. We are called to an entire way of life. My friends, are you willing to follow Christ and to surrender to him? That is the only place you will find your identity. Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The yoke of Christ is rest because he tells us who we are and we don't have to find it for ourselves. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your strength, your power, and your love. I thank you that you have made just this a massive, huge universe that we don't even fully understand and that you made us and that you love us and you have purpose for us and you give us identity. Lord, help us to lean into that. Help us not to form our own identities on what we think is best, but to trust you for that. I thank you for my friends here today, Father. I thank you for this church family. Be with them in whatever they're finding themselves in today, the struggles, the pain, the joy. Uh, Father, I just pray that you are with them. As we go from here, may we understand what discipleship really means as we form identity in you, as you form that identity. Uh, Lord, as we follow you, uh, Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it encourages us and speaks to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, friends, have a fantastic week.